I left the city, I've been browsing. Treading water that they drowning. My head on the swivel. Yeah. It's only really my surroundings. Hello and welcome to episode 161 of the Smash Accept podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at DynastyDadFF. Tonight's show, you know, we had Scott Connor on last week. If you guys haven't checked that out, talked a lot about wide receiver philosophy and some a little bit deeper thinking. We've been covering a lot of values. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about trade tips. You know, we're going to give you 10 Smash trading tips. And really, Mung and I are going to run you through how we, we go about making Dynasty trades. So without further ado... My man in the living room, Mung. How you doing today, brother? Hey, good. What's going on, man? You guys can find me on Twitter at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. And uh, a lot going on. I mean, we've had OTA news, and uh, we're deep into best ball season. We're almost getting to redraft season, and just so much to talk about. Uh, not only player news, but, uh, you know, we still want to hit on these general topics where the overarching strategy is sometimes more important than your individual player takes, right? Because much like sports betting in the fantasy industry, it's considered pretty good if you even hit on 60% of your takes versus the other 40. So it's not like someone's going to be hitting nine out of 10 of their player takes. So it's really more about roster building and building those trade relationships like we're going to talk about tonight. And that's something I think over the years, you and I have really tried to hammer home is process over results and really trying to look at profiles and how we do things in the the cyclical nature of, of dynasty and when to make trades when not we're going to just cover so many different things and i'm excited to open that up uh you can see behind me we got the garrett wilson signed jersey you guys still have a couple of days and the exciting thing is all you got to do is you got to sign up for the smash except patreon right now there's a seven day free trial so literally there is no strings attached. There's nothing. You get a seven day free trial. You're automatically entered to win the Garrett Wilson signed Jersey behind me. Uh, you know, I wanted to wear it for the podcast. The thing is just awesome. Can't wait to give that away, but we're going to announce the winner on father's day. Make sure one of you guys gets that awesome Jersey, that cool giveaway. So Mung, what I did was I kind of, I took the, the successful business practices of trading in the, in the, you know, in the business world and tried to, talk about it a little bit in our world, you know, because a lot of times we look at, you know, depending on how you play dynasty, we look at it either as a, as a business, we look at it as a, as a, you know, fun hobby. There's so many different ways. We all look at it a little bit different, but I'm going to break these down one at a time. The first rule I have is always have a trade plan. You and I talk about this all the time. I mean, the key here is to stick to your plan. Each trade and, and roster construction that you guys have should go in a desired direction. You know, every trade that you guys have, waivers, everything that you do should lead you towards a specific direction. We talk a lot about top three, bottom three, you know, and, and most of our, our teams that we have at Smash Except, we don't have those teams that hover in the middle. You know, we talk about really having a direction. And I keep getting these, these Twitter questions. They're like, dad, isn't this side better than that side when it comes to trade value? And you're like, if this is your desired direction, right? Like it's not all about player X versus player Y. It's which direction do you want to go? Why do you want to do there? And be convict, have some conviction with that because I know a lot of people waffle in the middle, right? And that was the biggest reason that we created this podcast. We didn't want people sitting there in the middle. We want you to guys to either push in or move towards that rebuild and really kind of embrace the, the principles. 
Right. And we get a lot of trade questions where rebuilding teams uh, outperform their expectations, right? So if you were starting a rebuild last offseason, a year ago, and you hit on guys like Garrett Wilson or Kenneth Walker, and then you ended up being maybe close to contention halfway through that season, if you ended up pushing all in and you didn't make it, well, then you're back in the same boat this year, mm-hmm. right? Whereas, like you said, if you hashtag trust the process and you take those wins, you're happy about them, your team's moving in the right direction, but then you're not giving up the first that you accumulated in said rebuild for older veterans who may or may not pan out. We always say, right, you should always look to win every single year if it's realistic, but really you have to be realistic about your own projections for your rosters. And also it applies to trades, right? If you have... I have Matthew Stafford on a couple of different rosters that I bought for dirt cheap when people thought there was a possibility that he might retire last year after the neck injury and all the, all the injury issues. And now I'm looking to flip a few shares of Stafford, but obviously I'm not going to go to that team that has six first and is not looking to contend this year because it simply doesn't make sense. It's just a waste of time for both of us whereas you should be targeting contending rosters. So really just evaluating your own roster well, and then also the other team's roster when you're looking to send trade offers. I love that. And that kind of goes into our next principle is really, we, you and I talk about it all the time, is like knowing your league mates and what direction they want to go and and try to do things that way. The, the tricky thing is a lot of you guys are coming in and they're like, Dad, I mean, I, I probably get 20, 30 DMs a week. They're like, Dad, we want to start our rebuild process. What do we do? And they just struggle to – they're like, should I get Cam Akers thrown in this deal instead of a second-round pick? Should I get this guy? And it's like you have to fully embrace it to move towards a direction. Again, if you guys want us to break down your rosters, make sure you guys send them in here. We can look at them over. We do that in the Patreon all the time. Guys are like, hey, you know, is this a roster that I should be looking to contend? Is this is one that I should be – you know, potentially looking to rebuild. What should I do with these rosters? What are some moves to make? And I think that's something that, you know, over the years, something that you and I have done a lot of and will continue to do. So step two, and this is where we start to to break things down a little bit, is treat trading like a business. So when you do things, we talk about this all the time. Part of that is know your league mates and your trade partners. You know how easy it is to, you know, fracture a relationship when it comes to the business world. It's the same as when you get into a trade world. you know, when you make a trade offer and it gets rejected and you, you mock that person or you do something in that sense. Like having these trade partners, knowing their tendencies and what they do is absolutely paramount to the success. We talked about it with Scott, where it's like, as soon as you move out one of those guys, now you went from having 11 trade partners, 11 guys that you could, you know, conduct business with down to 10. You want to keep it at the maximum amount possible your entire, you know, time that you're in that league, because that can really have a trickle down effect. Now, all of a sudden, there are 25 players that you're not going to get because of the way that you, you know, talk to another league mate. Right. We touched on that just last week, right? As you were Mm -hmm. saying on the episode with Scott, so you guys should definitely check that out. We talked about a lot of broad strategies, but I'll I'll repeat myself once again, right? It's all about relationships, both fantasy football and life. Uh, Mutual respect is so important, and especially when you're a keyboard warrior, right? No one gets Mm -hmm. to see you face-to-face, or at least for the most part, when you're making trade offers. I've had a few fun FaceTime uh, FaceTimes with close friends when we're doing 
uh, actual live trade negotiations, right? On a quick video chat or something. Those are always fun. But for the most part, you're typing back and forth in DMs or trade offers. And it's important to know that tone is difficult to come across sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're even not trying to mock someone or make fun of someone, um, you know, even if you're listing some stats, right, you could come across as condescending. So just make sure that you're being nice. And it's just like rule number one of a job interview or something where basically it doesn't necessarily matter if you're a better trade negotiator or if you know more about players. At the end of the day, are you someone that people want to trade with, right? Are you lecturing them in DMs? Oh, like this is dumb. Like how could you value this player as a first? Sometimes it's better to just move on and understand that people value players differently. So again, just knowing that. And then also a little rule of thumb, you talked about knowing uh, the other dynasty GMs in your leagues, right? And sometimes it's just little stuff that over the years, you know, right? Who who cares about the underwear Olympics? Who's Who's got mm-hmm. the googly eyes for a player as soon as they run a sub 4-4? That's the kind of team that you want to target if you're trying to sell a guy like maybe Devon Aching, right? Or who's that guy who's got the Ohio State Buckeyes logo in their Twitter profile if you found someone yeah. through a Twitter league, right? And maybe they're going to overpay for C.J. Stroud in your league. So maybe you target them. And it's just little stuff like that, that over the years you kind of gain from experience. I like that Twitter one because I play in a couple of Twitter leagues where I saw the guys, you know, his, his AVI was CD Lamb. So I made an offer and he's like, how did you know? And you're like, you, you pick up those little details. To your point, there's those guys that, you know, always are trying to buy 24 first. There's those guys you know are always trying to buy veterans. Those guys that, you know, if it's a a specific locale. They're always trying to buy Bengals. They're trying to buy Eagles. They're trying to do those certain things. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more about buying profiles instead of particular, you know, players that you fall in love with. But the one thing that I want to add to what you were saying is you can do that in your, in your trade negotiation, but sometimes the league chat Mung can really sway things in a, in the wrong direction. You know, like I had a guy make a comment the other day and one of the other owners in there go, man, I don't want to trade with that guy. If he's going to start talking like that, you know, and, and being able to shame somebody on another trade or, Oh, I would have given you more. There's so much more in there. And I think like in the business world, that goes more with your, your, you know, your human relations and how you do things. And the more you can have that, you know, that flow where you're going to have a good conversation, where you're going to have, you know, positive trade talks. Sometimes that, other part of that where they're talking about some other trade that they're not even involved with can really steer things in the wrong direction. The question I get a lot lately, Mung, and I want to get your take on it is trade responses. So there's so many people out there. They're like, if I don't like a trade, is it okay to just hit decline? Should I write? Oh, that's a good offer, but maybe not. Should I counter? Where do we go from that? There's so many people that just struggle with that aspect of it. And, you know, you and I feel like it's just second nature because we've been doing so long, but we have a lot of new listeners out there and they're like, what's proper etiquette when you're declining a trade if you don't want any part of it? And then how do you go about doing the counter? I mean, is it, should I counter in the DM? Should I send another blind offer back and forth? Talk to me a little bit about the negotiation process there because it is an art form as well. You know, we, we talked about knowing people, but there is an art form of, trying to say the right words and do the right thing to make a trade negotiation continue. Sure. And I guess it comes down to two things, right? One is the golden rule that we all learned as kids, right? Do unto others as you want to be done unto yourself, right? So if you send a trade offer 
and it gets declined with no reply. How do you feel about that? Right. Obviously, we would all prefer some sort of response. And the second thing is the worst response is no response. Right. Don't let mm -hmm. don't let trade offers just I sit in your inbox for weeks and weeks. And obviously, there are exceptions. Right. Emergencies come up. Life happens. And not everyone is able to respond right away. That's perfectly fine. But at the same time, you shouldn't just be leaving trade offers in your inbox unread or unresponded to for weeks on end. Right. At that point. Maybe you just shouldn't be in that league. And again, life happens. Everyone's busy, but it's just common courtesy if you can to reply in a timely fashion. So I think in general, and I've been guilty of it too, where I just decline with no counter sometimes or no response because I am pretty busy some weeks. Um, so I, I think obviously you want to try to be as responsive as possible. At the very least, I try to say, hey, you know, I think we're just pretty far apart on this guy. So, you know, there's no counter necessarily that I saw that could work. Um, but if there is, it's best to talk through your, your thought process because mm -hmm. the, when you open a dialogue, right, that's ultimately how business deals and also trades in Dynasty get done is when you can come to a middle ground on a player's valuation. See, now it's going to the business world. I almost look at it as like when you're filling out evaluations or doing paperwork, right? You you start out in the industry and you're, you're writing big detailed information. And then you get to a point later on where you're just kind of, doing a little bit less and a little bit less. And we have this situation where people in the beginning, I find out when they're brand new to Dynasty, they want to write out a blurb of why they don't want that trade. And then we get to a, after a while in a league, you know, this is, I guess, me just saying, just give them, a, give them some kind of explanation. Let them know a little bit. Because the next step that's, that's part of step two that I've really been trying to hone my skills and work on this year is approach managers from a how can I help you win approach, right? Like we all look at it, when I like today, I did a, a thread on Chris Godwin that I wanted to go out and buy Chris Godwin. But what I wanted to do was go to the owners that had Chris Godwin and say, hey, what can we do? What do you like on my team? How can I help you get something off of here? You know, is there a player that you like? I think a lot of times we all want to win trades. You know, that that is the name of the game. But subtle wins. You know, if you go there, the best deals I find are the ones where, you know, I gave up. 10% more than I wanted to. And you gave up 10% more than you wanted to, but we were, you know, you, you're sitting on that fence. You're like, Ooh, was that a good trade? Wasn't it? Like, I, I feel good about it, but I'm not sure. And I think when you go to the other owner and say, Hey, how can I help you win? You know, how can I help you get to this? And that's, that's really easy when you have a, a rebuild team and a win now team. Sometimes it's a little bit more difficult when you're both middle ground or both in the same direction, but I think you can come to an understanding of, this negotiation here is is going to further our our relationship. I'm going to give and take a little bit, and that's why I talk a lot about you know third round picks or sweeteners, and we kind of do those things because it's like a good feeling where I'm like, let me let me throw you a third, and we'll get this thing done. Yeah, and oftentimes trades are win win, right? You don't have to win a trade by being shady, sending out an offer for a player right after he tore his ACL or something, hoping the other the other GM didn't see the news. Or you don't have to, you know, a new orphan and a new dynasty GM just took over the team and they're not super familiar with Superflex and you get Josh Allen for a couple seconds because they don't know how to value quarterbacks just yet. Um, those aren't the type of wins we're talking about, right? I think one of my favorite examples is when you trade for a player that you believe in or sell a player that you don't, even though you're selling for around their market value. So, for example, back in 2018, 2019, you might have been able to sell Baker Mayfield for Josh Allen Plus if you believed in Josh Allen 
he didn't believe in Baker Mayfield, whatever it might be. And it would have been a perfectly fair deal. But looking back, if you really did believe in Allen, then you knew that was going to be a win for you, or at least you hoped it would be without fleecing the other dynasty GM. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about winning trades, right? We're not talking about taking advantage of anybody. Yeah, very good point, you know, and I think that's one thing that we have really hit on in the past years, and we talk about insulated trades, but we're almost every single year ahead of the curve of who's going to break out, who's going to be there, and there's a lot of, there. you know, there, there's an eye for that, and then there's some luck as well, but we hit on those kind of things, so it's like, at one point, it doesn't feel like a win, but it shifts to that way, so, so far, we've talked about having a trade plan, treating it, treating trading like a business partner, then the third one is, Use your dynasty resources. Like there's so many guys right now. You have so much at your disposal. I mean, not just in our Patreon where you can get trade value chart, our ADP, you know, rankings from you and myself. Uh, but there's other ones. I mean, the, the dynasty trade calculator is fantastic. I just recently stumbled across bulletproof.com. Phenomenal tools on there where you, you know, you can see the ADP, you click on a player, it's going to show you recent dynasty trades. There's so many things out there, but this is the caveat, right? There are great tools out there. The biggest thing I see is people really trying to look at keep trade cut or look at DLF or look at one of these and throw it in the other person's face, or they're trying to look at which one does that guy use and try to, you know, try to move around on that. I think there, these are all tools. We don't need to use any of them as an end all be all, you know, people are like, well, you know, dad, you have player X in the Patreon above player. Y. wouldn't, why wouldn't you make that trade? You know, and there, there's more to it than that. Or they might say, you know what? The dynasty trade calculator says that this player is a 42 and this player is a 38. You should take this trade. You know, you don't want to take those tools and push them on someone. You want to make them, as a tool to give you an educated guess, to give you that best possible resource to make those decisions that you ultimately are making you have those small wins. Right. Ultimately, these resources are a guide, right? It helps you understand what the general market consensus is on given players. So then you can then go either make offers or evaluate the offers that you received. Mm -hmm. um, but I would challenge anyone out there, even if you're starting out, to try and create your own dynasty rankings because that's where you can see where you value certain players compared mm -hmm. to the market, right? So I'm much higher on, say, a guy like Marquise Brown. So even if I'm paying somebody who's valued over him in ADP and getting Brown in return, I would consider that a win because mm -hmm. of the gap between my ranking and ADP or market value. Um, but at the same time, it's important to understand that sometimes – people who are holding on to certain players have really high sky high expectations for them. Right. I've been trying to buy Kadarius Tony in some leagues and the teams who have Tony are similarly high on him. So it's not always going to work out just because the market is lower on a player that you like or higher on a player that you don't like. Yeah. And I like that rankings because a lot of times we're trying to really conduct that in the Patreon where, you know, they can look at your rankings, they can look at my rankings, but it's a matter of, making your own, you know, and if you guys go over to fantasypros.com, you can literally make your own rankings. You can put it on there. And I think the important part about that is making your rankings and then drawing your own tiers in there. You know, we all have different sets of tiers. You and I talk about it all the time, trying to move around in said tiers. Hollywood Brown is a perfect example where you and I are, are, are differing a little bit as far as where we're at on values. So if we were making that trade and I have him down here and you have him up here, 
you know where you can make some some headway, you know, and you can make some some trade value in there. So I like that a lot. Um, and I think it's make your own tiers because, you know, there is dynasty market value. But at the end of the day, it's your team. It's your business. It's you're the manager of that particular team. So don't feel like just because that's the way. And I'm saying go make a crazy trade, something that's way out there. Use the tools. But if it's off by a couple of points on somebody's calculator or a spot or two on their ranking and you believe it, ultimately you're there to have fun. That's what you want to do with your team. You you run it the way that you want to do it. We're here to help in, in all those certain ways. Well, and it's easier said than done, right? I, I would suggest that it, it's a hard exercise. It, it mm-hmm. takes a lot of time. And I would suggest starting fresh, right? Don't don't go off of current rankings or ADP. Just start making your own rankings. And sometimes when you then look at your rankings compared to ADP, you're scrolling and scrolling for a guy. You're like, where is he? How, how far down do I have to scroll? Because I've got him up at you know 20th overall or something. Am I wrong? Or is this someone that I really need to be buying because I'm so much higher on them? Is it someone I, I need to be selling because I'm so much lower on them? You know, this happened last offseason, right? Gabriel Davis is an example of someone who I was super low on compared to the market who I just didn't believe in. So I was looking, I remember doing my rankings and I was scrolling through DLF ADP. I'm like, where is he? And he was a full 30 or so spots higher than where I had him ranked. And I said, man, I got to go out and sell him in the two leagues where I have Gabe Davis because clearly there's a big gap between how I'm valuing him versus the market as a whole. Yeah, and you can play that. I mean, you know, again, going back to insulated trades, I was talking about it today with a guy that was trying to make a trade. And this time last year, I was big on Travis Etienne. And I traded Travis Etienne and and my second – or I'm sorry, I traded Austin Eckler in my second for Travis Etienne and, my, and this guy's first, which ended up being the 104. So at this point, now both Etienne and the 104 where I got Jameer Gibbs are both worth more than – what Austin Eckler is right now. And that pick ended up being the 212 because I won it all. But it's a matter of like looking at ahead of time, see where people's values are. He felt great when he made that trade, you know, because Austin Eckler, he was the RB1. It helped him out. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a matter of finding where those values are. The next one, number four, is protect your draft capital. So this is one right now I have struggled with in years past. You You know as well as I have in Smash except one. And John's the same way. It was like, Trading picks like candy, right? Then I started accumulating them and working around. But rookie picks are the assets that insulate your investment, right? If you have your rookie pick, your options of what you do as a team are so much different than if you don't. If you don't have it, it's almost like you're playing redraft, right? Like I don't control my own pick. So therefore, what does it matter? I don't need to sell out completely to get that 101, you know? We look at a a top three, bottom three mentality, that 24 first is an asset that's best held onto and used at the proper time. So if you are all in, I see so many people right now among they're buying depreciating assets in June to fill in their roster. And I, I put a tweet out about this and it, you know, it got a pretty good traction there, but it's like buying Derrick Henry right now for your 24 first, you're like, Oh, but, but dad, it's a late 24 first. Derrick Henry goes down in training camp and that is a dead asset. That is a depreciated depreciating asset, you know, like I'm all about go out and buy that cheaper guy to fill in there if you need that, but hold on to that 24 first. We talk about it every year about when the right time to strike is, and that's different in every league. It's different for every team, but buying, using that 24 first as a guy, I saw somebody today buy, buy DeAndre Hopkins for a 24 first. And I'm like that, 
is not something that looks like it's going to win on paper for you. You know, you'll be able to buy DeAndre Hopkins at week eight, week 10, same kind of price as long as he's still there. So, I mean, at, the more we do this, the more we realize draft capital is what insulates your team. It's what keeps you viable. And how many times have you in the past, Mung, been like, okay, I, I really need to buy a player here for that, you know, week 12 to 15 stretch. And now you don't have a 24 first. So now you're trying to figure out what kind of assets can you move and still be viable. Yeah, and it's it's really, really tough to rebuild when you don't have your coming year picks, right? Because as soon as you make that first trade to potentially sell off and rebuild, then the team who does have your future first immediately has all the leverage on you, right? I was responding to a, a question on Twitter earlier today where they said they were rebuilding and I said, okay, well, you don't necessarily want this player because it, it's going to make your 2024 first a, a bit, or, or excuse me, a bit later, assuming they mm -hmm. score points. And he said, oh, well, I don't have my first. Well, it, it's possible to rebuild without your first, especially if you're doing well and, and you have other draft capital. But ultimately, you're hoping that's going to, your first is going to be 101 or 102. And then you'll be able to either flip that pick or get a high value player for it. Well, yeah, but, we talked about the 101 is usually about 30% more value than the 102. Next year, that could be at least 50% more, if not. I mean, it is like this year where Bijan was your golden ticket. You know, you're Caleb Williams. If you have that 101, that's why we talk about in the rebuild process. Step number two after assessing your team is get your first. You know, don't, don't like disguise it there. Try to find a way to get it back in there because if you don't have that, you know, you're almost – running in a treadmill trying to figure out a way yeah you can trade cooper cup for drake london and and something right but that's not the same as getting every when you're in a rebuild and you're getting that 101 every trade you make is inching yourself closer to that premium asset where it's like i might have lost five percent on that trade but i'm ten percent closer to getting caleb williams which is going to expedite this entire process sorry i get excited when you when i hear you say the word rebuild I just get excited. You know, that's my thing. Yeah, no, that, that was mostly my thought. Basically, even if you need to overpay, if you're rebuilding, get your first back because ultimately that's going to gain a lot more value than if you're holding on Austin Eckler thinking, oh, I mm -hmm. should be getting more for him versus, you know, paying Eckler and a first for your hopefully 101. If that's all you have on your team, I would still go out and do it because ultimately if that pick or even 102, 103, those top two or three picks hold so, so much more value in most classes where you can then, as you say, cascade that pick into more and more first down the line. And the veterans get can get injured. Those picks can't. You know, we know they're the only assets that are going to continue to appreciate. What I want to talk about real quick as is part of that protecting your draft capital is the way that I use draft picks. So if you look at my team right teams right now across my 17 leagues, I have 64 first round picks. I have like five thirds because I don't I don't keep thirds. You know, I use them as part of the process and I have I have half as many seconds as I do first. So I want to talk real quick. My my philosophy is on this is I use my seconds to tear up. You know, I use for instance, you know, I, I'm, I might take John Mechie in a second to get to Chris Godwin. You know, I might take Juju in a second to get to a certain player and move up. Um, and then thirds, I used to sweeten deals. Like I rarely pick third rounders. Third rounders have an 8% hit rate. So I use them as that way to, to finish a deal. 
Um, do you have any particular ways that you go and think about second and third round picks or just this is the asset that we have here? I like thirds a lot because my target with my third round rookie picks, maybe I shouldn't be giving, giving out this secret, is I love taking shots on tight ends specifically. Yeah. Because we know that the hit rate on second round rookie picks and even third round rookie picks is incredibly low. But I have found over the last few seasons that the hype on tight ends who perform even a little bit goes way up. So you can, for example, the last couple of seasons, you could have gotten, you could have bought low on David Njoku for a third mm-hmm. at one point where people were way out on him. Um, guys like Chick Aquanco, Aquanco, I can't say his name, Aquanco, excuse me. Um, he would, you, you could have gotten him for a third, right? And now you yeah. can sell him for a second, maybe more in some leagues with yeah. the hype that's grown there. Trey McBride was in that area, you know, and there's some guys I know you are starting to target that are, you know, Laporta was one that was in that third range. He's obviously shot way up almost into early to mid second. But then there's some other guys like Musgrave there. There's these tight ends that get high draft capital, but they fall to the third round because we we have the narrative that it takes longer for them to, you know, two to three years. And then, but they still have the draft capital. Yeah. Right. Like we talked about Njoku, but now you can get, if you believe in Irv Smith, right? You can get him for a third. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have soured a ton on Dalton Schultz. You could probably get him for a couple thirds, depending on the league. Uh, so for whatever reason, it seems like I'm always grabbing tight ends with my third round rookie picks. Maybe it works for you. Maybe it doesn't, but I would at least explore that option. That's one of my favorite things to do with my third round rookie picks. So I'm going to skip over number six. And I'm going to go to number seven because we just it, we just talked about it. It's develop your own methodology, right? I was just sharing what I do. You were sharing what you do, but it's what's successful for you, right? Like we can like I, I write up a lot of blueprints of this is how I do what I do, you know. And ultimately, we're all playing the same game, but it's amazing when you start to when I when I call Zoltan up and I'm like, hey, what are you doing with this trade? And he'll you know he does the same thing, and it's like. We get to the same conclusion, but in a different way. And you and I do that a lot too, where it's like we get to the same outcome sometimes on our dynasty teams and things like that. But then it's a matter of how do we get there? So when we talk about our, our dynasty methodology, you know, dynasty is meant to be fun. But in order for to do that, you need to work on your certain patterns, your habits, just like things in life. You know, like we talk about the, the most successful people in life have a pattern. They have habits. They have daily routines, you know. And for me, I'm like, This is what I do on a Monday. This is what I do on a Tuesday. You know, every Tuesday night before I go to bed, I'm scouring that waiver wire. Every Wednesday, once I see what happens, I start to see what some of the trends are of people who are picking up on Wednesday. And then I'll start to make some trade offers, you know, and kind of move into that way. Um, I think that is something where you look at the patterns of your teammates. You look at what you have. And then it's listen to the best guys out there. I mean, I love looking at Mung's content. You know, we talk about it a lot. Some of my favorites, I mean, we talked about Scott Connor. I was blown away just talking philosophy with him last week, just because we only tapped into it a little bit and the way he talks about it, the way Zoltan does, the way Chad Parson does. There's so many guys in the industry where they're not talking about having conversations about, you know, this player or that player, they're talking about deeper meanings, deeper thought processes on how you do this. And that's how ultimately, in, in my mind, you become successful as dynasty. I mean, we can all pick 
that Josh Jacobs is going to do this this year, Miles Sanders that year, you know, what those guys are going to be. But is it going to hit? Or are you going to bank on the principles and the patterns and the habits that you do for your dynasty teams? Yeah, and it's just again like any life lesson. These dynasty lies, these dynasty lessons have the same application, right? And really, just absorb as much knowledge as you can as you're crafting these strategies, right? Even if you don't play as much redraft anymore, if you've never played best ball, check out one or two of those podcasts because sometimes those strategies kind of cross over, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, a lot of that stuff's correlated. Um, I talk all about all the time about how my dynasties rankings align much more closely with my redraft rankings in season because mm -hmm. it is driven more so by current production at that point and also the market sentiment is driven a lot more by what's happening week to week right and at the same time something we talked about with scott last week on last week's episode was stacking with if i believe in anthony richardson maybe i do pick up a few more shares of michael Pittman along the way because ultimately even though that's more of a best ball concept at the same time, it makes sense that let's say you're high on Justin Fields as a passer, then you should be higher on DJ Moore than the market, right? Or on the other hand, if you don't believe in Justin Fields, you just like him purely for his rushing production, then maybe you try and sell the DJ Moore, DJ Moore to the team that has Justin Fields who does believe in it. So it's all about, you know, kind of looking at the same picture in a lot of from a lot of different angles. I loved what he was saying, not just the stacking there of, of the players that we talk about, oh, I have a Burrow Chase stack, you know, like that's okay. That's great. What he was talking about was on a deeper level where you look at the wide receiver threes, you know, if you're going to stack, uh, let's, he, he said in particular, you know, if you have Kenny Pickett, then you should be going after their Deontay Johnson or a guy that's a wide receiver three, because that's going to ultimately make your team better, you know, where, the, the stack when you have Jalen Waddle and Tua, that's nice. But he's like, where you really start to make some headway is when you get, you know, your your Brandon Ayuk and we're not going to say if it's Purdy or Lance, but or your Terry McLaurin and Sam Howell or those lesser quarterbacks with those wide receiver threes, which I thought was a brilliant principle that I hadn't even thought of. Um, tying in with number seven, I'm going to I'm going to go back to number six because it kind of goes with your methodology. But I put is learn your risk tolerance. So, I mean, this is another principle kind of like business. There's some managers like myself. I like to go all in. You know, if the guy's getting – I've always been willing to take those risks. I was buying, you know, Tyreek Hill for super low prices, second-round picks. A couple places I got him for third-round picks when they were talking about suspension or kicking out of the NFL. You know, there, there's guys that have had those situations where – Calvin Ridley is a great example. I was buying him for late second round picks and, and even a pair of third round picks when he got suspended because people were like, well, I don't know if he's going to come back now. Look at that. I mean, he's fetching a late first, early second. You know, there's there's so many ways where and, and on the flip side, I mean, there's ways that that can hurt you, too. But that's become part of my methodology is I am actually going after that. I'm looking at those guys because there are a lot of owners that are really or dynasty managers that are very risk averse. Like I don't want this player on my team anymore. I'm going to cash out for whatever I can get on that player, you know, or, or those guys that don't believe in, you know, running backs that are coming back post injuries. There's so many things where you can exploit that or they could exploit it on you. You know, you, on the other hand, you are very risk averse. You're very calculated. We're, we're, we're literally polar opposites in, in some of these ways when we talk about the way we make trades 
And I think it's about finding that blend that works for you. You know, how do you enjoy the game is crucial. You want to avoid that stress. Like if you, if I told you last year, you had to buy, you know, player X who was super risky, that doesn't make it fun for you. Right. And if you tell me, you know what, Mike, don't buy. Wow. I call myself Mike instead of dad. That never happened. <laughs> but if, if you were like, Hey, don't buy this player. I'd be like, Whoa, Whoa. I want to be involved in that risk. Cause for me, I get a kind of, I get a kick out of that where it's like, man, I invested in this guy when he was at his low. And now all of a sudden look at this penny stock. Look what it's done now. Yeah. And it's all price dependent, right? Because I just talked about how out I was on Gabriel Davis last off season because he was going for a first and now you can get him for a late second, maybe even a third in some leagues. People are super out on Davis all of a sudden after his uh, down year. And I'm mm -hmm. still not the biggest believer, but I'm willing to take a shot on potentially Josh Allen's number two wide receiver. If the price is a late second, all of a sudden, right? We talked, mm -hmm. we talked about, everything being driven by ADP and how you value players versus the market. So again, I, I consider risk when a player is high priced, but like you said, even if you didn't believe in Calvin Ridley, which I was adverse on last season because he was mm -hmm. going to be away from football for such a long time. But if somebody said, Hey, I'm selling for a third, I would still been all over that because it's all about gauging where you want up where you are on a player versus the cost to acquire yeah i'm i'm absolutely in on that and I, I i think when we talk about that it's just a matter of the price you know there's so many guys that we talk about where their price deshaun watson was another one that was was prime in that right like if you there were so many people that were willing to sell for any first round pick now he's approaching two first round picks maybe even more and he's going to be a first round pick here in the next you know couple of weeks and to a point where i think he's almost a lock to get himself back in that top five to eight in, in quarterback range. But if you took the risk, you had that opportunity. Other people are like, I just don't want him on my team. Like I, I don't want that kind of risk and I don't want to go there. Uh, number eight, always use a stop loss. So this is one where early on in my dynasty, you know, career, if you will, I would be that manager who would derail my future by making one trade to try to fix another, right? So I would make a trade and that guy didn't hit. And then I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to try to fill that void in with something else now, right? I'm going to use my 24 first, or I'm going to, I'm going to try to sell the farm to make this fixed, right? Or there's, there's those guys that, you know, we, we talk a lot and that's why I've kind of adapted to the top three, bottom three is, that gives you a place to go, right? If you believe in that top three, bottom three mentality, that helps you move in a direction to avoid that mediocrity where I feel like a stop loss, having a spot where you're like, okay, I, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm not just going to try to fill in the gap. I'm either going to go this way or I'm going to go that way. So, you know, teams that come to me all the time, they said, dad, I need to buy player X for my first right now to compete. And I, I, I always say this, I was like, if you need to buy Joe Mixon to compete, with your 24 first, you're not ready to compete. You're not in that area. You know, now is not the time to do those things. We all want to have that stop gap, that stop loss, that spot where it's like you, you feel safe, but it's, you have to know when, when's enough, right? Like, I think that's the tricky part that dynasty owners just continue to trade after trade after trade, which leads into step nine. So eight is having that stop loss. Nine is knowing when to stop. So talk to me a little bit about that because we, we do it so much. We just trade, right? We, we, we want to trade because 
there's not much to do. You know, like we're in our dynasty leagues and you're like, well, we did the rookie draft. I should maybe make a trade real quick. Yeah, and it's in some ways it's like the stock market, right? Because there's the the age-old expression, you haven't taken a loss until you sell, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, a good example is uh, I'm, I'm a big proponent of Disney long-term as a stock. I bought Disney after they announced that they were getting into the streaming platform, Disney Plus. I think I bought around 110, 120, something along, along those lines. Um, you know, it soared for a while. It was up to 180, 190, and now it's back down. It's around 95 bucks, something along that. But the whole time I've just held my shares, right? And I haven't sold. And a perfect example of that could be Elijah Moore, where he was getting a lot of hype last off season. Mm-hmm. Maybe you bought for a first, right? Maybe you bought for a future first. And obviously the Jets just simply didn't use him at all last year. And Garrett Wilson had this meteoric rise. And if you would have said, oh, man, I missed on Elijah Moore, which you did at that point, right? I, I, I wasn't super high on him, but I bought a couple shares here and there. And all of a sudden, he's just doing nothing. And what are you going to do? Send out offers trying to sell him for a second, a third, right? At, at that point, what is the actual reward for getting a late round pick where we know the hit rates are low anyway? Mm-hmm. So I've held on to a couple shares of Elijah Moore, and now he gets traded to the Browns. He's getting quite a bit of hype in OTAs, talking about how he's connecting with Sean Watson, and his value's rebounding a little bit. So mm-hmm. to your point, when you do miss on a player eval, when you do buy a player like Elijah Moore or a Gabe Davis, who all of a sudden craters in value, maybe the best thing to do is just hold. Like you said, don't panic. Don't try to make trades to quote-unquote fix the situation or to just sell just to sell and get rid of the player. Because like more, you know, Gabe Davis, we found out earlier this offseason that he was battling a high ankle sprain last season, right? So I still don't know that I believe in his talent, but I do think that he could still have opportunity in 2023. And if you bought Gabe Davis for a first, you might as well hold at this point because what does selling for a third do for you other than the saying, oh, I just got him off my roster, I'm done. And, and you get some sort of sigh of relief when really you're not losing anything by just holding on to that roster spot unless it's the super shallow bench and you know, you're trying to pick up somebody else. I get that a lot on Twitter when I put my dynasty cells. So, you know, some of the guys that I put as cells recently, it was DK Metcalf and Austin Eckler and George Pickens. And those are guys that have value because some people want them, right? When we talk about those cells where it's like you have to know when to, you know, a lot of people are like, why don't you have Trey Lance as a cell? How can he be? Like why you invested two firsts in him. So why would you sell him now for one first or a second round pick, you know, like there's so many guys where you have to wait to see if they rebound. And if they don't, you know, it's almost worth holding on to it, waiting for it to rebound because if Trey Lance bounces back and and starts over Brock Purdy, that value is going to rise up, you know, incredibly. But if it doesn't, you know, it's almost better just to hold on to that asset. And it's like, I see people right now trying to trade. They're like, Hey, oh, dad, somebody offered me a 2025 fourth for Zach Wilson and Superflex. Should I take it? I want to get him off my team. You invested a top five first round pick on him. You know, like you trade him for a fourth round pick. Why bother? You know, like at that point, let him sit on your bench 
And that's a piece that, you know, eventually if, if Aaron Rodgers goes down, we'll have some value. I mean, it's a matter of knowing when, you know, we talk about it a lot where we talk about buy high or buy low and sell high. You know, it's not a matter of in that particular incident, you know, where you're buying high and then just selling for peanuts. Well, yeah. And to your point, right. It's all about, again, knowing when to get out. Right. You, it, even with the bounce back and say someone who we just talked about Elijah Moore. Right. Even if I if let's just say from what I saw from him, I don't believe in him at all anymore. At that point, then maybe I do take the loss and I sell mm-hmm. for a second, which is still worth something. I can trade that pick then for another player that maybe I believe in more now. Um, so it's OK to take losses on players. But like you said, when Tyreek Hill, the news came out that maybe he was going to get suspended for a year, maybe longer. Uh, Again, maybe you do get out for a couple seconds, right? If you were super convinced that just he was never going to play again. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, why would you ever sell for a single third? When has a single third ever really became anything of value? Well, you have to look at what that buys you, right? Like a single third buys you right now a Zach Evans or, you know, an 8% hit rate type player that Cedric Tillman, you know, who you might like, but what are the options? How many third round picks have become where Tyreek Hill is, you know, like that's just not going to get it there. We're at least getting a pair of seconds. Yeah. I can play around with that see where you're going to go, you know, in in those types of situations. And Sean Watson was another one, you know, and it's just a matter of knowing when and all the, all the people that you could tell where people that don't like risk or like, I want them off my team. Let's get them out of here early. You know, and if you're going to do that, then you need to do it. It's all about timing. Like it is a very difficult thing to do. And it's not just get rid of them. Yeah. Or even, you know, Camara, right? Yeah. Because maybe he was a sell, but the league is yet to announce the suspension. And yeah. I think, I think it will come, but who knows? Right. And obviously, if you if you do sell for a second, I think that's still OK value. But again, the people who are selling for thirds are just complete panicking or, quote unquote, on tilt. Right. And that's when you don't want to let your emotions rule your dynasty trade offers. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a lot more values in the upcoming weeks. And it was just like Mixon and Kamara were guys that I'm getting in rounds eight, nine and ten of startups because of that you know, that, that fear right there. The next part that I want to talk about when we're talking about knowing when to stop trading is something that I've really tried to do is keep my emotions out of trading. I love Jalen Hurts, right? I was buying him everywhere. I've been trading Jalen Hurts in a couple situations where I'm getting huge rewards. Do I want to get rid of Jalen Hurts? No, I want to root for him and I want to do that. But I got to look at sometimes looking at the trading picture as profiles and assets, not like I like player X, but I don't like player Y. You know, I had a guy and I messaged him. I was like, um, you know, what what would you give me for Dak Prescott? Because I'm trying to move off this way. He goes, I don't want Dak Prescott on any of my teams. I don't care what the offer is. Don't even bother. You know, and that's like you don't like QB1 production. You know, like look at it as a production profile. When we had Jordan McNamara on last year, he was talking about that with Josh Jacobs, where Josh Jacobs, remember we had the – the Hall of Fame game where he was getting carries and everybody was selling Josh Jacobs for peanuts. And we said, he's like, look at the profile. Don't look at what you feel right now. Look at the profile. This guy's a round one draft capital. This guy's done this. He's this athletic profile. Don't just say, oh man, I, I don't like this. This is, this doesn't feel good right now. I should move off of him. So like the emotions part sometimes clouds our judgment when we're making dynasty trades. 
Yeah. And, you know, that's part of why I try to be as objective as possible when I look at the Lance and Purdy situation, because I was so high on Lance. So I have to do my best to step back and evaluate that quarterback situation as unbiased as I can be. Right. Obviously, I do have bias and I recognize that. But at the same time, when people were, you know, starting to really jump on the hype train on Purdy pre-injury, when you look at it, when was the last late round quarterback pick when was the last true great quarterback who was drafted that late and if your answer is tom brady i'm sorry it's a that couple is, years ago right that is the outlier of outliers that you know the greatest quarterback ever that you think this could be replicated so easily right and that's not to say purdy can't succeed especially in a strong system like kyle shanahan's but at the same time don't you know take away the name of the player and look at the situation and the historical hit rates. And yes, outliers, getting outliers is how you win in fantasy. We have to recognize that outliers are outliers for a reason. I like it. The other part about knowing when to stop trading, and this is one where some of my most favorite dynasty trades are when we go back and forth 10 times. You know, we Adam Armour, shout out to him. We have some of the best trades ever because we'll just go back and forth. But the tricky part, Mung, is, you know, you want you offer me th- these three players for these two players. And then I say, add this and add that. And then we get to a point where so many people will reach out to me and they're like, what do I do now? Now he wants too much. You walk away. Right. Like we you don't have to take it. There's so much in the trade negotiation where people feel like the back and forth, like they have to give in. Right. It's just like you're buying a, a used car, you know, or, OK, I want. I want let, let's knock 2000 off the price. And then he comes back and he, he knocks this off and they're like, no, you know what I want? Let's get some new tires on here. You know, this might be ni- 1980s car negotiation as opposed to now. But, you know, you start negotiating back and forth and then you get to a point where it doesn't benefit you anymore. So you walk away. Sometimes you walk away and you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take some time on this. But at the current price, I'm out. And I, I told someone to do that the other day in the Patreon. And then. They, they said that the exact thing like, hey, you know, I, I kind of like the players in here, but this particular deal isn't working for me. I'm going to I'm going to start to look around. But thanks for the offer. And it, I'll put my original back on the table. Two days later, he accepted the original because we went back to that where it was a matter of he started thinking about, you know, I really want that possible that that trade possibility. So talk to me a little bit about when to walk away, because there's so many new dynasty owners out there. They just don't know. So they're just like back and forth and they feel like there has to be an exact equation that makes that trade right or else you know they they just don't know what to do yeah to your point i I get dms Uh, i got one i think a couple weeks ago where it was a a lot of different iterations of the same trade and at the end of the day you know i gave my advice on each each version and i said it sounds like you guys are just too far apart on these Mm -hmm. players and sometimes it's okay to say hey I think we're far apart on these players. I don't think we're getting anywhere. It's not, nothing personal, but maybe we should just hold on to our guys for now. And that's fine. And also people have this tendency, like you said, where you really want to get that deal done. So you keep sending counters back and forth. And sometimes I've found, right, it, I send a trade offer. For example, I won't say which league, but I just sent an offer of Kenny Pickett plus three firsts for Lamar Jackson in a super flex league. And it got declined, and I didn't send another offer adding in a couple seconds or whatever. 
I'm going to wait and see. Maybe Kenny Pickett has a pretty decent preseason. Maybe the hype grows a little bit, and I'll send the exact same offer in a month or two months from now and just see what happens. Because sometimes, just over time, everyone's perception and valuation of different players is going to change, right? It changes based on good Twitter threads of stats that we read. It changes sometimes based on one throw from OTAs or one catch from OTAs, and all of a sudden everybody loves this player, right? Amir Abdullah is a great example of that from a few years back. So, again, it really just depends, and sometimes it's okay not to get a deal done right that minute or even that day or that week, and you really can take time to reevaluate things and see if do you really want to get this – trade done because you think this player's value is going to skyrocket or can you maybe wait especially in the offseason when there's less news and see if things change in a month or two yeah and i think right now before we actually start preseason and a little bit deeper into otas the value is not going to change a lot in the next month for most players you know and that's where when this guy came to me he said well i, I gotta get this done like player x is about to blow up what's what news is going to happen that's going to shift it in that direction. You know, there, there are very few things that are going to happen to really push a guy, his his value to go up until a little bit later in the season. So that leads us to number 10. And this is our last one. And, and this is kind of fun just to kind of go over these again, where just, you know, rules for successful trading. Step Number one, always have a trade plan. Number two, treat trading like it's a business. Number three, use your dynasty resources. Four, protect your draft capital. Five, become a student to the trade market. Six, learn your risk tolerance. Number seven, develop your own methodology. Eight, always use that stop loss. Number nine, know when to stop trading. And number 10, keep the trade windows in perspective. I think you've you've done this with me on multiple occasions where you're just like, dad, chill. Like, this is not what we're kind of doing. But we look at it where trade values in February are different than trade values when we get closer to the season. You know, right now you look at, the, the, the time period from February to August moves all over the place, right? It's a matter of, you know, we talk about the cyclical nature. From February up until August, veterans are discounted, you know? The young upside is increased. The rookie picks get increased. Then once we get to August, we talk about, you know, now we're in that area where so many people are trying to improve their roster right now. You want that value of your roster. You're not worried about that starting lineup until we get closer, until we get to late July, until we get to August, until we get to September. So that I say when we get to September, November, that's where we trade to improve our linemen, our lineups, our depth of our linemen. Ugh, why do I keep saying linemen? We want more linemen. <laughs> and then we really consolidate those assets once we know what our team looks like. But there are definite windows of when to trade and how to make small moves in those windows. Yeah, I, I love trading for players that I believe in uh, right after bad news hits, right? So uh, depending on when this pot releases over the next day or two, um, Matt Harmon just released, uh, just tweeted out um, the reception perception for Kadarius Tony with a lot of red on it, where there are a lot of routes that he doesn't run that well yet. Um, he wasn't that great. People are freaking out over him. And this is exactly when I want to send out offers for Tony, where yeah. maybe people who previously were really high on him all of a sudden are having second thoughts. And so now perhaps I can actually maybe not get him for super cheap, but at least get my foot in the door, right? Mm -hmm. At least get a not auto decline. And Matt um, Harmon's that perfect guy. He's one of the few guys that I have 
notifications on because his reception perception changes the perception of what people think. I mean, I, I've never seen a tool where people are like that, you know, it is a great tool. It, it's not, again, it's not an end all be all, but it will like guide people to, I don't want that guy because of, you know, George Pickens value died when we saw his re- reception perception and how much red was on there. You know, other guys, you, you see there's just skyrockets when you see how much green is on there. And Jahan Dotson, right? Yeah. I, I, who I liked a lot, but now I'm not buying for a first plus, right? Yep. <laughs> um, and, and then vice versa, just looking at news in general, right? Especially when it's the rumor mill. When for a while you could have gotten Elijah Moore for a third because all of a sudden it's, oh, DeAndre Hopkins might want to reunite with Deshaun Watson mm-hmm. in Cleveland. And then two days later, it was like, oh, not really. Um, or right now, a guy who I believe in, Devon Chain, who I'm buying because everyone thinks Dalvin Cook's going to land in Miami. And, you know, we have nothing necessarily to support that other than there's mutual interest. There's still contracts to work out. And I've tweeted out before that I think they would have different roles anyway. Um, but right now, maybe someone who was pretty high on A-Chain, all of a sudden is having severe second thoughts mm-hmm. and you can get them for a little bit less than it would have taken just a week or two ago. I like that. I mean, you did you did try to get both Tony and A-Chain off me, so we're, we're <laughs> getting there. I sent the trade offer to <laughs> you this morning. Yeah, I, I know, right? And so I, I put into I practice what I'm preaching. And I didn't respond, so I didn't put into practice what I'm uh, what I'm preaching because you got me thinking a little bit. We talked about news, but I mean, the, the news right now, and I know for those people that listen towards the end, I mean, right now I see people panic selling selling Saquon Barkley. They're panic selling Josh Jacobs. And I mean, these are two running backs who are going to make $10 million a year. And I know they want to create the, the idea that running backs are going to start getting paid and start making, you know, all that extra money. But it's a matter of like, these guys are both talking about holding out, but Mung, I mean, they're going to be paid at $10.5 million this year. We saw the last major running back to hold out and just play this game was Le'Veon Bell. And when you hold out on the franchise tag, you've got to do it again next year. You know, like you, if you don't play six games, you're, you could get franchise tagged again next year. And I think I am seeing a lot of people panic selling Saquon Barkley. I saw someone sell him today for Damian Pierce and Tajay Spears. And I literally almost like I was like, whoa, whoa, like, Let's let's pump the brakes here. Same with Stefan Diggs. You know, we're talking about he didn't show up to day one of mandatory camp, but the 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 reports say that he is in Buffalo. He talked to McDermott. You know, so how do you make some moves on those th- kind of things? You know, like these seem like they're just news to be news at this point. But how do you how do you play the market that way? Yeah, and that goes back to what we said a little while ago on on this episode of just absorbing as much information as you can, right, like a sponge, and just getting more understanding of football and the business side of things in general, not just player A had this many yards over expectation and this much target share with this quarterback split versus the other quarterback, but also, you know, with the evolution and the new CBA that they adopted a little while ago, it's really hard to hold out now, mm-hmm. right? You just, it, it's almost impossible, which isn't necessarily good because I do think players should have more power than the billionaire owners. But at the same time, it's super unrealistic to expect Jacobs or Barkley to actually hold out this entire season. Um, now we've yet to see a soft holdout. Maybe a player just says they're 
you know, ankle sprained in practice every single week. And I don't know if I can go type of deal and still get paid. Um, we, we haven't seen any situations like that. So maybe it's still possible, but again, it's just understanding uh, how, how these negotiations go. Right. Because again, um, even going back to Sean Watson, where people are saying he's never going to play again, and then he gets the highest paid contract in NFL history. So just kind of understanding how teams will wait to do things based on PR and based on the leverage that they think they have. Yeah, and I think the last time we saw anything close to that was maybe Melvin Gordon. I think he held out partially in the in the beginning of the season and then came back and you know played the the final final eight to 10 weeks or something like that. But Mug, this was fun because we didn't even talk about any dynasty trades. You know, we talked about how to make them. And, uh, you know, I saw after Scott came on here, he posted a, a tweet that anybody want to have a one hour podcast and not drop a name, you know, and I think we did a good job of just talking about the principles of it. And hopefully this helps you guys because there's so many new people joining into the dynasty community, joining in on dynasty, Twitter, joining in on the smash, except, you know, family. And we just wanted to give you guys some, some tricks. You know, I have this out there on a, a tweet format. If you guys want to go out there and bookmark that and check it and, and kind of check on these, if you have questions for Mung and I, based on how we, it, it, it's, it's awesome in the Patreon because they can ask you, they can ask me and we're totally different on how we're thinking about those things. And again, you don't have to align with we're not telling you which way to do it you can align with mung you can align with myself however your your methodology is and i think that's the most important thing out of this for me is don't just play this blind don't just say you know like i feel like that's redraft some you you, you're playing it you make your plan you're gonna win in dynasty it's like you got to have a little bit deeper you got to play chess when everybody else is playing checkers. And we do that a lot at Smash Except. Mung, any any more takeaways from, from tonight's episode? Yeah, I mean, just, again, just one final note for the listeners who stick around till the end. Uh, you know, every player has value, right? Especially in deeper bench formats and in super flex formats. Um, people who passed on Bailey Zappi last year because, oh, well, they have Mac Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I still think Mac Jones is the guy in New England. Don't get me wrong. But at a certain point when Zappi was slipping to the late third or so, right, at that point, hey, he's at least worth a shot. And even if you flipped him for a second midway through last season, that was profit right there, right? Or you guys you talk about guys like Skylar Thompson, who even if you paid a fourth or got him off the waiver wire, you could have sold him for maybe a third at, at the point where Tua went down, maybe more, right? And even looking at guys this year, Head and hookers slipping into the late second in a lot of super flex rookie drafts, right? Jared Goff is the starter right now in Detroit, but we've seen a long track record of Goff being mediocre and he had a great season last year. I'm not taking anything away from that, but again, do we believe that he's a long-term true starter in the NFL or for the Lions for that matter? Right. And then even guys who we've talked about deep sleepers, Stetson Bennett, right? Oh, he's old. Uh, He's not, he's nothing. Uh, special athletically but hey Matthew Stafford had a lot of injury issues last year he seems healthy right now but who knows one concussion and all of a sudden you can get maybe a third maybe even a second for Stetson Bennett from the right dynasty GM so again every player has value and is worth stashing if you know the right time to sell or the right time to buy and I've been telling people fourth round of Superflex rookie drafts you know, my my rebuild on Smash 7, I got Hooker in the late second. The fourth, I had three fourth-round picks. I got Stetson, Bennett, 
Dorian Thompson Robinson, like some of these guys that, you know, it's a wild card. Like if we talk about it, late startups or late rookie drafts, if you're taking a round six wide receiver, the hit rate on that is next to nothing. But a guy like Stetson Bennett, he will get some starts this year. Matthew Stafford with that offensive line is going to lead towards that. Torian Thompson Robinson. There's like all these guys that you could you could see a scenario where they get a start and they're instantly worth more than what you paid for them. So I love this episode. It was a lot of fun. Thank you guys for tuning in and enjoy the process. <laughs>